Last week, I uh, started it out, and I uh, immediately went to this whole game that the serpent was playing on Adam and Eve about how he was getting them to be deceived. So we talked about how our minds can deceive us at times, and I gave you a couple of pointers on how we really have more control over our mind than what we give credit to, but that we're in this spiritual battle, and we're going to continue the conversation about that spiritual battle today. Before we get there, uh, we, we actually began the Lenten season a couple of Wednesdays ago on Ash Wednesday. If you, if you saw our Ash Wednesday service, whether you joined us live on, on that day or you caught it since then, you know that Pastor Pam put out a challenge for us. And that challenge is, is that every day we want to make sure that we're getting back into the Scripture. She told us to go back and make a spot at Isaiah chapter 58. Where's Isaiah? Old Testament, one of the major prophets. Um, go, go to your Old Testament, open it back in half. Isaiah's probably right there. And uh, what, you, what you want to do is park on Isaiah 58. And, and specifically what she asked us to do was to take out a piece of paper, a note, a post-it note or whatever, and, and write out something that we want to get rid of in our life, uh, specifically something negative in our life. You know, listen, I'm going to make an honest confession. And, um, you know, so to me, I said for Lent, I want to give up cynicism. Listen, I can be a cynic. I'm just being real with you. I can be honest. And, and every now and then I catch myself because my cynicism wants to come out on something and I have to stop and I have to go like, you know, I can't be a cynic. I, I, I've got to be real about this. The staff, I've got uh, several of them told me, hey, listen, if you hear me being cynic about something, call me on it. So we've been working in covenant. So I'm taking this seriously is the point I'm trying to make. And I want you to take it seriously too. So go and write down something, a negative thing about you that you want to give to God. Get it out of your life during the season of Lent, write it on that piece. Every day, go back and look at it. How did I do with it today? How did I miss the mark? How, how can I grow with this? How can I be a better person? And pray, pray, pray that God, through the Holy Spirit, would lead you to a transformation and a change in your life so that you can become the better person. And the hope is, after Lent, that, we, that we've rid ourselves of this. So it's not just like a, a, a six-week or eight-week project, but it's real and it's life-changing. Well, I, I want to talk to you this morning about a, a little girl. She was out with her dad, and they were getting ready to cross a ravine on a bridge, and the little girl was scared. The dad was scared. I remember one time in Daytona Beach, I, I got on the, the sky ride at the boardwalk at Daytona with our oldest daughter, and, and the, as I got up there and we're going, I'm looking at the cables all rusty, you know, the, 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 the wheels were falling off up there. And she's having a blast, and I'm going like, how do we get out of this thing when it falls? So I know what it's like to be in those fearful things. So this daughter's with her dad, and, she's, and he's like, honey, whatever you do, just hold on to my hand. She goes, she goes daddy, you know, uh, but, but you know, I, I'm going to hold on to it extra tight so, so that I don't fall, but, but, but you hold on to my hand, she said. And he's like, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't understand. Uh, what's the difference? She said, because if I hold on to your hand and I slip and I fall, then I could fall down and die. But if you hold my hand, I know you'll never let go. And that's kind of where I want to be today. I want to be in this trusting place. I want to be in this place where we eliminate any doubts in our mind um, as we continue the story of Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden. And I want us to, to look at how we can overcome this, this thing called doubt. So last week, we, just thought, we started this series, The Garden of Good and Evil. 
I shared with you, you know, what all happened, that God created Adam, God created Eve. Uh, we learned last week in the very beginning that, that, that the, the um, serpent was trying to be deceptive. The serpent was lying to them. And it wasn't that they were prideful that they ate the fruit. It wasn't because they wanted to be like God that they ate the fruit. I challenged us and said they were already like God because the scripture said God created them in his image. So it wasn't like they needed to be like God to eat that. But they listened to a lie. And they bought into this lie, and that's what led them to this uh, life where, where the fall came. And so we learned all this happens in the garden of, of good and evil. And that's what the serpent does. And I also said that, that we need to be careful that we understand that evil really does exist. Whether you believe it's a physical devil or a spiritual devil, we looked at the writings of the Apostle Paul, and we know that Paul says that we are constantly in battle with all kinds of things, and it's a spiritual battle that is at the very uh, pivotal point of our souls. And Paul warns us not to give in to that, and we saw this happen in the garden of good and evil. So what happened in that was the serpent began to share the lies Eve fell into it, she ate the fruit, she gave it to her husband, and the fall happened, and everything literally went to hell at that point. And so, what did the serpent do? He, he convinced them that God couldn't be trusted. He convinced them that, that no matter what, that God couldn't fulfill his promises, that God was holding back, that, yeah, God said you could eat from things, but, but there was this one thing, tree you can't eat from, so therefore, God must not love them as much as he said, because he would have given them everything. And I shared with you last week about how, how we live kind of in a world of duality, that God is good, but, but there's also evil in the world, and, and God cannot be evil, so God is the standard of good. But we're not God, so we're like below that, and between God and us is that, is that battle that's constantly going on as we are trying to get closer to God, the devil's saying, I'm not going to let you there, I'm not going to let you there, I'm not going to let you there. And God gives us that room so we can choose, we can choose we can choose to be loved by him. We can choose to love him. And God said that that's what makes love the best that it possibly can be. So let's look at the word of the day, doubt. Say doubt. Now say it like you mean it. Doubt. doubt. Okay, so, so this is the word that got, that got created. This is the word that the serpent used to usurp Adam and Eve on their main purpose of what God had planned for them in the garden. You know, when, when, you, uh, when you have doubt, your life changes. Think about a time in your life, whether maybe you're going through some doubt right now. Uh, think about a time in your life when you had doubt. Um, I'm thinking about a time in doubt. Um, you know, I, I have a very close person in my life who, whose child ran away, and mom and dad were doubting, doubting, you know, you know will she ever come back? We don't know. You know, will she, won't she? And, and they were doubting. They were going through that. Doubt was in their mind. I see doubt come a lot when, when people are struggling with illness and maybe a loved one dies and we pray and we pray and we pray and, and it doesn't work out the way that we want and we begin to doubt God and we begin to say, you know, maybe God isn't all powerful after all because God could not deliver the goods because I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I still have doubt. Where does this come from? Let's go back to Genesis 3. And I'm going to uh, share with you, and you're going to see on the screen, we're going to, we're going to put up um, a couple of different, we're going to put up Genesis 3, 1, and we're going to put up Genesis 2, 16 and 17. I want to compare these. So in Genesis 3, 1, here's the serpent talking to Eve. Remember in, in Genesis 1, God said you can have dominion over all creation. You're going to name it. You can do all these, but there's, there's this one tree 
The, the tree of, of good and evil and of knowledge, you can't eat from that, but you can mess with and eat from anything else. And so now the, the, the serpent is with Eve. Here it is. Can it really be said that God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? You see what he's doing? Can it be that God said you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God told Adam? No, God said you can eat from any tree, just not this one. Big difference, but yet subtle, okay? So, so he's being deceitful. He's creating spin. We see a lot of that today. We see it in politics. We see it in our homes. Someone, someone's, you know, trying to create a story, and they, they spin it out. They spin it out so that way they can get the word out that they want, but it may not be the truth. And so we spin things and we change the words on stuff. So what did God originally say to Adam? He said this. He said, Adam, you may freely, so that means unconditionally, you may freely eat the fruit from every tree of the garden. You see what it, God told Adam that. The serpent said to Eve, can it really be that God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? You see how they conflict already, okay? God said, but, but only from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you cannot eat. God said you can freely eat from everything, Except this one, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say that? God, didn't God say you couldn't eat from anything? So he's creating this doubt. He's creating this motif. You know, I was, um, I was thinking a little bit about this because our words have power, right? Um, I was thinking about uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid. So I have three older brothers. Uh, so my brother Tom and his wife Bodile are with my parents, my mom and dad in Orlando this week. And Tom and Bodile live in Jacksonville. Sometimes they tune in. Guys, if you're tuning in, Glad you're here, and Tom, you're going to know I'm telling the truth with this. Um, so I'm the youngest of, of, of the four. I'm the most innocent, most impressionable, most, you know, you know, reserved, quiet. Okay, thanks, Dave. I appreciate your encouragement over there. Um, so, so anyway, so, so my dad, my dad was notorious, or he's not now that he's in his 80s. He's really, he's really laid back now, but he was notorious when we were at home. Dad always had a huge wood pile at the house. Folks, we live in Florida. So that one day a year that it goes to 70 degrees that he would need wood, right? But every weekend, it was like, boys, you need to move the wood pile. You need to move it from here to like six feet over there. And the next week, it'd be like, you need to move it back. And he also had a rock pile. And we always were constantly, every week, move the wood, move the rock, move the wood. So dad would come, he would gather us, he'd say, you need to move the wood pile and the rock pile. And then he would leave. And so I was like, you know, young, impressionable, wanted to please, follow my brothers. And I'm like, let's go do it. And they would always turn to me and they would say, he didn't say that we had to do it. You know where this is going? He said, you have to do it. And I'd sit there and I'd go like, that's not what he said. But, but now they're saying that. And, and I'd be confused. I'd be like, well, well, what did he say? You see, that's kind of what was going on with, with Adam and Eve, with the serpent, with, with God, and with all these things. So, so the truth was that, that God said they couldn't eat from just that one tree, but by asking the question that the serpent did, are you sure God said you couldn't eat from anything? He was planting that seed of deception. And that seed of deception, if left unattended, guess what it's going to do? It's going to germinate. It's going to grow. It's going to create a huge thing. So basically, the serpent created this whole narrative that wasn't true, and he was spinning it in his direction, creating doubt amongst Adam and Eve, 
thinking they could no longer trust God, thinking that, that God did not love them, that God was holding something back, and that they needed this other thing, and the serpent tricked them. Here's how it works today. Let's say you're still working. I know we have a lot of retired folks, but let's say you're still working. Maybe if you're retired, you'll recall how this worked for you when you were working. So let's say that you're working, okay, and, and you have somebody in your company whose performance is way less than yours. You are an outgoing, you do what the boss says, you strive, win for the company, you pour it in, you spend all the time, you do that. The other person who's a slacker gets all the boss's attention. You know, maybe they're charismatic or something like that. And the boss is always like giving accolades to the slacker and you're going over there like, you know, I, I bust my hump, kind of like the brother in Luke 15, you know, I've done all these things, why do you still love him? And, and, and so it gets out of control. And next thing you know, if you're not careful, you're talking bad about your boss talking bad about your company they don't recognize they don't know look they're bad they don't know how to make decisions you know here here's another one maybe maybe you're in a relationship and and relationships work that way you know you 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 want to be in the right relationships but all of a sudden it's the wrong people at least that's what you think the wrong people get all the the great things now listen i'm going to take us back to memory lane for a second i'm in high school i'm a senior it's 1981 I'm at Colonial High School in Orlando, Florida, and um, you know I'm sitting there looking around, and, and I was fairly well known on on the campus. I played sports and class president, and you know I, so I was kind of known. But I never could get the popular girl to date me, never. And the guys who were smoking weed, the guys who were popping back then, it was quaaludes. They were popping quaaludes. The guys who were drinking beer at the Colonial Drive-In Theater on Friday nights and sneaking people in in the trunk, they were getting all the, the popular girls. I didn't smoke weed. I didn't drink beer. I didn't do any of those. I was, I was a good guy, but I never could get the popular girl to date me. I'm over it. I'm, you know, you can tell. <laughs> now, let me, let me hit the pause button for a second, and this is not planned. My wife just happens to be in the building today, so she has no idea where this goes. She's like, where are you going with this? They might have gotten the popular girl, but I got the prettiest girl my senior year to marry me, and she's right there. And so, so you don't have to listen to that voice. You don't have to listen to that deception. You don't have to have something, you know, create doubt. You know, kind of like Garth Brooks' song, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. And so, so the whole point, back to the story, is you know, we see others achieve their hopes and dreams while, while we're busting our hump and we're giving everything that we have, and our hopes and dreams are like fizzling like a firecracker that's a dud. But the other people are succeeding, and we're just not sure about that. But God gave Adam and Eve a clear choice. God said, trust me. God said, follow me. God said, be obedient with me. Just accept all of this that I've given to you and look how wonderful it is. And they chose not to. Did you hear me? They chose not to. And the whole thing got out of control. You see, God calls us to trust. The enemy says, you can't trust God. The enemy says, God's not on your team. The enemy says, quit listening to God and all of his promises. The world's tough. Suck it up, buttercup, and you stink too. That's what the enemy says. And that challenge and that battle is constantly going on. Let me ask you maybe a rhetorical question this morning. Have you ever doubted yourself? Have you ever doubted God? 
I think if I were to say, let's do a secret ballot, I'd be willing to bet most of us would say, at some point in our lives, we've doubted ourselves. I think most of us would say, we've doubted God at times, or, or we've doubted that God didn't deliver the goods, kind of like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all that stuff. And, and so we, we struggle with that, and we're not real sure. But listen, self-doubt doesn't come from self. I mentioned this last week. I'm convinced that none of us wake up every day and say, I want to have bad thoughts about myself today. I want to doubt myself today. It's a spiritual battle. It's happening. And it's happening right before our eyes. God not only, not only made you perfectly in his own image, but God created you with uniqueness to be you. Listen to me. No one else can be you. Only you can be you. God chose you. Jeremiah says that I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I called you by name. God knows you intimately. God's created you. God's created you with uniqueness. And therefore, life is incomplete unless you are contributing with the uniqueness that you bring to the table. Think of like a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. You ever put one together and there's like one piece missing? Maybe the dog ate it or, you know, fell down, you know, between the, the one time we were looking for a puzzle piece, we, we started, you know, searching in between the folds of two cushions on the couch. Can you imagine what we found? There was a fishing rod down there we'd left and, you know, there was a car and, I mean, you know. So, so the puzzle of life isn't complete until you're in it. But the deceiver says, you don't matter. You don't make a difference. God doesn't have a future for you. Your identity and mind, it's being attacked, and the constant barrage of blows against us is painful, but it has one purpose, and, and it's to reinforce the doubt. And it causes us to forget the greatest truth. You and I are children of God. Imago Dei, the image of God. So the battle happens, as it was happening with Adam and Eve, it happens with us. Daily, we're being bombarded with thoughts, not that we're thinking, but evil spiritual battle, trying to tell us that we are junk, we don't matter, we don't make a difference, trying to make us doubt that we are children of God. Now here's how a couple of us react to this. We can either act in worry or we can act in doubt. Now, don't confuse the two. Worry and doubt aren't the same thing. Here's worry. Worry says that I'm concerned that if this happens, then we start spinning it out. You know, this is what will happen if this, this, and this goes. Or we're, we're concerned about something that has yet to happen, and we already believe we know the result. Any worriers in the room? Any worriers at home? You know, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34, one of my life verses when I was going through a train wreck in my life back in 2003, I couldn't hear God. I, I had to go away to a, um, a monastery and hang out with some monks. I was probably in a time of depression at that moment. That pericope of Scripture, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, saved my life. Do not worry about. God cares about you so much. Seek first, Bob, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness will be added to you. Don't worry about today or tomorrow because today has troubles of its own. 
so we can worry. Or some of us, instead of worrying, we doubt. And here's, what, here's why doubt is worse. So worry is that you're going like, well, it could end up this way. Oh, it could be that way. Um, I tried to do my best Dr. Williams voice for that. Oh, there it is. But doubt, here's what doubt says. Don't even try. It's not going to happen. Don't get out of bed this morning. Stay in bed because there's nothing good waiting for you. That's doubt. So doubt robs us before we even get up in the morning to do anything. That's the difference. So we, we do worry, we do doubt, and we go back and forth of those things. And a lot of us, we struggle with it because, because the, the enemy says you're supposed to be perfect. You are part of God, but only God is perfect. We're sinful. And that's why we need a Savior. Listen, I've been a um, pastor of this church for 10 years. July 1 starts my 11th year here with you all. So I think over those 10 years, I, I've walked with you through deaths of loved ones. I've walked with you through your weddings. I've walked with you through your divorces. I've walked with you through your, your baptisms, your bringing children into the world, confirmation. I've walked with you through job losses. We've prayed together through all of life's you know, travails and tragedies and things that come. And what I've learned uh, is that as we've walked this together, what I've learned is, is that we're all vulnerable. There are some that are part of our congregation that are like my support group. So, so when the warrior is really a child, they surround me and they pray for me. When Moses' arms are tiring, they're there to help lift them up. We need each other, don't we? And we see this, and we see the challenges that come through life and, and the difficulty that comes with that. And if we're not careful, doubt will convince us there's no hope. But listen to me. Always, always, always trust, trust, trust. Say trust. Say it like you really mean it. Shout it out. Trust. You got trust. Trust not in yourself, but trust in God. And I think that's the challenge because the enemy says, just trust in yourself. You can do this on your own. And God says, you can do all things through me because I'm going to be the one that gives you the strength to do it. So there's a big difference in the things that we see. So God said to Adam and Eve that they, they could eat from all the trees of the garden except one, but the serpent, he created doubt that God could not be trusted. And that's what the enemy does. He creates that God cannot be trusted trusted. You see, here's the other big lie that the enemy is doing. He is so skilled in creating doubt, the enemy has told the world that God does not exist. Think about it. There are people in the world who believe there is no God at all. In fact, some of them believe that, that this whole God thing in heaven and repentance and confession, it's all a big hoax by the church, capital C. Usually they're blaming the Catholic church, but, but capital C church so that the church can hold power over people. And this whole guilt and all this stuff, don't worry about it. So, so the enemy has convinced the world that there is no God. Think about that. Look at our ecosystem. Think about how the earth is precisely the right distance between a, 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 an on-fire star called the sun, and we're not burning up. 
Think about how there's the proper mixture so that oxygen and nitrogen come together and can sustain life on a planet that's spinning at, at 60,000 miles per hour around the sun and rotating 1,000 miles per hour in its own. Look at all of that and tell me there's no God? Come on. But that's what the enemy does. The enemy is good at convincing that. The enemy knows that, that once you start to doubt God, that he's winning the battle. Remember last week I said, we need to remember we're in a battle. Because the minute we don't see this as a battle, we've lost and we can't win a battle unless we know that there's a battle. So, so if you believe in the lies, you won't trust God. It's what, that's what he said to Adam and Eve. It's a game of deception. And that game of deception began in this garden. But here's the good news. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. If we were to play that out even further in John 14, what he then also says is, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if that were not so, I would have told you it's not there. But I am going in advance of your coming. And I am preparing a place for you. You will be with me. The disciples said, Jesus, we, we don't, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. Stop doubting. Trust. I am the truth and the life that you come to the Father through me. He also said this in John chapter 8, 32. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I love what Dr. Williams said at our nine o'clock service after the sermon was over, because one translation says, the truth will set you free. And Robert said, you know, think about it as a gate opening. The gate's open, okay, you're set free, you can go, but it doesn't matter because we gotta choose to do that. And I loved his image, he said, you know, make you free. It's like you're being pushed through that gate into that new life. I love that image. God is preparing us. We are his. Don't doubt it. Embrace it. And know that Jesus is Lord.